What's up, everybody? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. Welcome, everybody. This episode was taken over by the Bonhoeffer Project. Executive Director Cindy Perkins interviewed Jim Thomas and Carmelita Boyce inside the Discipleship.org Collective about whether or not we will ever get back to normal. You can't see me doing this, but I'm air quoting pretty hard right there. Carmelita and Jim bounce ideas off each other about what they've been doing at their churches during the pandemic and during this year, what's working there, what's not working there. And I love this episode because they're both advocating for a shift in our thinking. Instead of thinking our new normal is a place that we go or a piece of cloth we wear or don't wear on our face, we should be thinking of it as a change of posture in our hearts. Our new normal should actually be our hope in Jesus. Love that. After the break, they go through some steps towards making that a real change in our churches. So make sure you stick around to hear that part. All right. I hope this episode is helpful for you. Let's jump in and listen to Cindy, Carmelita, and Jim. Enjoy. Well, welcome. We are so excited to have you on this week's collective. And I am excited to be here with you. My name is Cindy Perkins. I get to serve as the executive director for the Bonhoeffer Project. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that later, but I am excited to have with me two of my very good friends, um, Jim Thomas and Carmelita Boyce. They're going to tell you a little about themselves, but uh, trivia, they were born on the same day in the same year. So it's it's unusual that you would have two friends born on the same day in the same year. So I don't know what that says. Sometimes it's a little scary, maybe. It says that, you know, June 30th was a great day. It was a great day. Yeah. And that we're both 25 years old. Exactly. Yeah, I see that. I see that. I I'm actually, that means I'm actually a year younger than my son, but okay. <laughs> well, and she's not from West Virginia, so that could make a difference as well, right? That could make a difference as well. Well, I want to start out with you guys. Uh, if you would just tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you're from, what you do. Carmelita, could we start with you? Yeah, um, currently I am. I live in Tampa, Florida. I grew up in Colorado. Um, I am married. We, my husband and I, have been married longer than apparently we've been alive, Jim. So wow. <laughs> we've been married. Uh, well, twenty nine years. His name is Dave. We have two sons. Um, one is twenty six, and one is twenty three, and they're both doing fun things. My my older son is off being a. Um, a, a ski do tour guide in Key West. I, I don't know what that entails, but he's enjoying it. And then my older son, he does engineering here. Um, my, my mom lives with us here in Florida in our home, and she has a dog named Winston. And that's my life here, my private life. And I, I'm in ministry. I lead the women's ministry at my church here in Brandon, Florida. And, um, and that's pretty much me. She also is a professor at the local Christian I, college. Yeah, I forget that sometimes. I know. It's I'm amazing. Not forget school starts next week. Right? Next week. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, how about you? Yeah, first of all, uh, apologies to anyone from West Virginia that's watching hey, based hey, on that hey. comment earlier. And I know Cindy is from West Virginia, so she has some skin in the game there, but for everybody There's else who was offended, you know, um, 
I am, yeah, Jim Thomas, and I'm a native Texan. Uh, grew up in Texas, and uh, my family actually goes back to the to Texas Revolution. That's how far we go back to the Republic. Um, and so we have deep, deep roots in the state of Texas. But I currently serve as a senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Georgia, uh, just south of the Atlanta, uh, south part of the Atlanta metro area, and have been here for a little over nine years now. Um, I'm the director of training on the national leadership team for the Bonhoeffer Project. I've done that now for three or four years, training our cohort leaders and um, in preparation for leading cohorts uh, to make disciple-making uh, leaders. And so that's been a joy for me to be able to work with pastors and ministry leaders all over the world in, in preparing them to invest in the lives of others. And so uh, married, uh, Laura is my wife. Uh, actually, uh, the week we're recording this is our 26th wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm uh, very thankful for her. have two girls. Uh, one is a senior in college. One is a freshman in college this year. So we get to experience empty nesting for the first time. And um, and so I uh, love my girls, so proud of them. Both of them are involved in, in local ministries and and have a, a heart for the nations and just uh, very, very proud of my girls. So um, that's kind of who I am and what I do. All right. Well, thank you, guys. That was a, a quick synopsis. But uh, these two are phenomenal people. I just encourage you, if you're going to make it to the uh, Disciple Making Forum in November, to find them and just have some conversation both of them are just amazing folks. So we want to talk this week about the new normal. That's really what we're we're the topic that we're going to engage. And these two, I asked these two to join us because they have a lot of experience with engaging the new normal. So I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you, and then our our conversation's just going to go. So uh, the first question is: How has your ministry changed throughout the past year? Who wants to take that one first? Mm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> We're both too polite, I guess. Yeah, we are ladies first. Go ahead, Carm. All right, Carm. Well, um, for there's a couple of things that's happened. Um, you know, COVID made made us have to think about things differently than we had before, just to get through that part of being um, stay safer at home. Those things had to, we had to make some changes just to do ministry according to the guidelines that each state or each, our federal government put in place. So that made us think about some things a little bit differently. And, um, <clears throat> coming out of that, we've had to think about things differently also, um, because we still have this wide range of people, um, some falling on the stream edges of both of I'm going out, I'm doing everything I possibly can. I don't, have a mind about what's going on with COVID. And then this other side, that's like, I'm very cautious. I don't know what to do. I'm still, you know, concerned about if I get this virus and those kind of things. And so how do you minister to people on those extreme edges? Um, so, uh, I mean, Zoom, as we are doing here, has been a great uh, piece that we've had to add it into our um, ministry that will stay even as we go forward. That is part that will stay um, as part of an offering that we have for our, for our our people in my ministry, at least to connect. Um, we also are thinking through things of what does it look like to have groups now? You know, do do we meet in person? Do we meet um, on Zoom? Do we do something that's in between? And um, how do we go about that? So ministry has taken on a lot of different. Um, a lot of different things that we've had to think about in the last year um, that we hadn't really thought too much about before that. Mm -hmm. Jim, how about you? 
Yeah, I would say that, you know, uh, obviously uh, many things have changed, but a lot of stuff has stayed the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we I'm in a church that this year is 192 years old. And so, you know, we had the thing that changed was stopping the Titanic. Uh, and yes, we did run into an iceberg. It was COVID and mm-hmm. it forced us to react and to act differently. Mm-hmm. And so to to stop meeting in person back at the beginning of 20 and for about three or four months, uh, not meet in person at all to preach me personally, to preach to empty rooms and do everything live stream, which was a new thing for us. We usually had just recorded our services and posted them online. And I know that's way behind a lot of what people were doing, but we had to learn that we had to learn equipment and, and technique and how to, how to produce a TV show basically, you know, and, and to do that type of thing to where it made sense and it looked professional and, and, and that type of thing. And so there were some changes, you know, to shut down small groups, whether that be Sunday school for us or our focus studies, which are kind of timed topical studies or our D groups, which are more intimate to shut those down in person. Oh, those were huge. I mean, it's like going 80 uh, miles an hour and slamming on the brakes and trying not to throw anybody through the windshield. I mean, that's really what it was like for us. And as we got into it and started developing strategies for how to do that interim time and then a re-entry time, which for us happened uh, around, it was on Father's Day of, uh, of 2020. We started to meet in person, but in different ways. Um, it, it took time. It took effort. Uh, you know, we were exhausted. We were more exhausted working from home, trying to figure out how to do community life than we ever were working in the office, right? Correct. In a local church. So, um, but I think some things stayed the same. Uh, you know, the need for community stayed the same. It may have ramped up a little more, kind of brought things into sharper focus for us. But um you know, we didn't change in the way we we prioritized the word of God. We didn't change in the way we presented the gospel. We didn't change in the way uh, in our philosophy of making disciples. Uh, the methods changed, but that core stuff always stayed the same. And it really did help us to realize that that it's really not as much, much about the programs and the methodology as it is about the vision and the process of leading people toward what we call a Christ-centered life. And so that makes the way that we do that flexible. And the the staff has always known that. The pastors have always known that. Now the people know that. And that has helped us a lot as we've moved now over a year uh, removed from that. We've moved back to some semblance of normalcy Mm -hmm. in in programming and in events and those type of things. So um, I think people are, are willing to be a little more creative. And to be a little more intentional now, too. So I say, so like I said, a lot of things have changed, but a lot of things have stayed the same. Okay. Yeah. So so what do you think God's trying to tell us about how he would like us to do ministry in the midst of this? I know every time that, that we see in scripture where the Israelites uh, experienced some sort of crisis, it changed the way that they interacted with God, how they did, what they did, those kind of things, right? It, it changed their attitude. It changed that dynamic. So, so what do you think God's trying to tell us he'd like us to do in ministry? In, I think in, in ministry, that's, that's a big question, but I, I think in, um, well, in ministry, I would say probably relationship would be the thing mm-hmm. we saw how, I think um, COVID helped people to understand how how much they don't have relationship. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. when they thought what they thought was relationship was not actually relationship. It was just we get together, we see each other, and then we go on. It wasn't really doing life. It wasn't people sharing um, experiences together. It was just people going side by side, kind of doing something for a little bit and then moving on. And so when those things of they still felt lonely in those times, because even though they had Facebook or whatever else they were trying to do, there wasn't deep connection in there. So I think that was one part of it that it, that we need relationship. But I think the other part of it is to slow down and take in what's what's important, like figuring out what truly is important to individuals and then also to ministry, as Jim had said before. Yeah, I think I think Carmen's right. I think relationships and 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 mission are, are the two things that initially come to mind. That we've taken our relationships for granted, whether that be personally, you know, with just another person, or in the corporate body with our small groups, other things like that. Is something that we never thought would go away, and it went away, and it helped us to reprioritize our love for others and the reception of love toward us from others. I think both of those things were in play. I think the other thing is just what I found is that the dross has come to the top during this season and, and God's kind of wiped some of that away. And I'm talking about people and that sounds a little harsh, but, but there are always in churches, fringe people and they play the religion game and they show up at the event. You call that a worship service or a Sunday school class or a small group or whatever. They show up at the event and then when something else is more important that week, they kind of go do that. And yeah. and what I've seen is, and I think we're all probably experiencing, depending on the COVID situation right now where you are, you know, 50 to 60% return at this point. Um, and w- who we're not seeing come back are those people on the fringes. Uh, we've seen a couple of mad people get off at the exits because we weren't conservative enough or liberal enough, depending on their point of view. And they've gone to other places and are doing other things. But some of our fringe people, like my wife said, they're, they've just gotten kind of spiritually lazy. Mm-hmm. And they're not re-engaging in relationship because many of them didn't have a relationship to begin with. Correct. And I think that's that's where we, as the core of the church, needs to remember, even though now we feel like we may be getting some of our needs met by reconnecting with community, is that those who didn't have a relationship to begin with really need us uh, to be able to reach out. I think one of the things, uh, I'm in one of our cohorts right now, I'm leading eight Brazilian pastors, a pastor from Uruguay and a pastor from Portugal right now in one of our Bonhoeffer cohorts. And one of the Brazilian pastors says something very, very uh, enlightening, I thought. He said, and he was talking about disciple making, but he said, you know, when you when you enter into a conversation of real biblical disciple making, it's like throwing paint on the invisible man. And I said, what an image. So you have people walking through your churches, doing just the religion thing, wanting to be a part, but not really engaging and growing in Christ or making disciples. And when you bring this topic to them, it's like throwing paint on the invisible man. They can't hide anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in another sense, that's what COVID's done. That as people just kind of existed in churches, what COVID has done is thrown paint on the invisible man. So what are you going to do this Sunday? Okay, so who are you engaged with? Okay, do you have relationships or not? And all of a sudden, they're going to have to see where where am I really engaged in the life of a local body? And I have a choice to make at this point. Do I continue to be lazy and comfortable? We had a we had one of my members say, uh, "Is it okay if I bring my exercise bike to worship?" What? And I said, "That's a strange question." He goes, "Well, that's where I've been watching you every week well, from home." 
And I said, man, as long as you don't wear the shorts, uh, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, that's good. Yes, right? I mean, I've had requests for donuts and can I wear my fuzzy slippers and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's this battle of, of getting back to appropriate, may I say, Christian community, uh, at least weekly. But I thought that was an apt illustration of maybe those who are on the fringes that COVID and we can pull that into the disciple-making conversation as well, but COVID's kind of thrown paint on the invisible man a little bit. Right. So how do we capture those folks? How do we how do we help them? How do we, first off, we kind of know who they, they are, but maybe we don't because right. they were on the fringes and maybe they never filled anything out or never right. uh, let themselves be known because in, in churches in America, that's what happens is you dip in and you are anonymous in the back and... Mm. So how do we get them? That's a great question. I think I, obviously you have to be intentional. Uh, you can't just wait for them to show back up. But our uh, one of our pastors, you know, uh, did some research and on research that's been done. And they said that usually someone doesn't fill out information until after the sixth visit. Yeah. And I thought that was a very interesting stat. And so we're living with people for a month and a half. If they come consistently over a month and a half, mm -hmm. six visits may not mean six weeks. Might mean six months. Yeah, it might be six months before they actually fill anything out because they've been burned before because of right. telemarketers or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's a step of trust for them. And so how do we intentionally build trust with those on the fringes and demonstrate that we're trustworthy. First of all, we have to be trustworthy. Right. Secondly, you know, we have to build that in genuine relationship with them, even if it's just a small group, even if it's just one or two people that are connecting. And then I think when they start to fade away, we have to be very, very intentional in reaching out to them. And, you know, this is what I found, you know, over 30 years of ministry is whenever you call someone who hasn't been here in a while, first of all, they're embarrassed. Um, they see it as a judgmental thing. And I think it's so key. Mm -hmm to reach out in love and in friendship yeah. and just say, Hey, it has nothing to do with any of that. Yeah. It has everything to do with the Lord brought you to my mind. Right. I just wanted to see how you are. Cause I care right. about you. Right. And I how think that I type of thing, do what? How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Do you have any needs right now? And just show genuine care, you know? Yeah. Our, my younger woman said, I miss your face. No, that's good. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's another piece of it too, is as women come up to me and say, do you know about so-and-so? I haven't heard from so-and-so in a while. I'm like, you can contact her, right? <laughs> how about, and, and how much more, how meaningful it will be for them to get a call from someone who just missed seeing their face and said, sure. you know, I miss you. And just encouraging our, our, um, congregants are people that we lead to go out and do that, do that work of saying, we miss you. When are you going to come back? When will I see you again? Right. Right. I think right. that honestly, for me, the whole thing about COVID, that was one of the pieces that it brought us to was the understanding that the pastorate does not have to do all the work. Amen. Right. Because when you're in homes, you can't, yeah, you can't, right? you just yeah. can't. And well, so, and it, I'm sorry. So it gets back to disciple making, doesn't it? Right. It does. I mean, it really is equipping the body for for works of service and right. and knowing that the professional Christians are doing it, too. Yeah. Um, but to challenge people, like Carm said, you know, why don't you, the Lord laid you them on your heart? Why don't you give them a call? Right. Well, I don't know how to do that. Discipleship moment. Right. It is a discipleship right. moment because we don't we haven't done a good job in in the church in America 
of training people to be ministers, right? We've we've abdicated that to the paid professionals Mm -hmm. for way too long. And, And so that brings me to the question of how do you deal with the people who want to go back to normal? Because normal for them is, I don't have to get my hands dirty. Right. Normal is that's your job. That's what we guys to do. So how do we how do we help those people understand how to be ministers and ambassadors for Christ? Well, I think the first part is you have to convince them that that's not just the the work of the pastor. Right. It's not just the work of the people that keep paid for being a Christian. Right. Um, I think that's the biggest part of it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's key. You know, as evangelical Protestants, which we represent, uh, we're all about the priesthood of the believer. But when we talk about the the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, we usually think about just personal responsibility for sin, right? Right. Um, and so when we think about that, but really the priesthood of the believer goes way beyond that to say, no, 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 no. I've been called. I'm an ambassador for Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm a new creation, and I'm not a professional pastor minister, mm-hmm. but God has called me to do the work of ministry as well, and to be equipped by those who God's called to equip. And then to take, you know, it's what I said when I came to this church, I said, I want everybody to take personal responsibility for the Great Commission, not just a corporate responsibility, which we do, not just a pastoral responsibility, but a, but an individual, a personal responsibility. And when we do that, and then, and I think this is key, and I don't do this well, I've said this many times, I don't do this well, give them venues to celebrate that. Correct. You know, uh, I don't celebrate well. I'm a, a personality type that wants to go to the next thing all the time, right, Cindy? Um, and and farm. <laughs> but like need... not only hold there, not only hold that thought, because yeah. not only are they born on the same day, they have the exact same personality. We do, and we do. Just praise God, we don't have the same hairline. Um, <laughs> for karma's sake, that is. Um, but yeah, and I and I think that's it. Is that we don't celebrate people well and we don't celebrate god's story in people well and when we can give venues for that and that's where all the creativity comes in Mm -hmm. um then what does that do to that person that has done that to the people that were the recipients of that and for a watching congregation it says this is the new normal this is what normal looks like right and I think for me, I've had several people wanting to get back to the normalcy. When they talk about normalcy, they mean, um, how can I put this, ritual, mm-hmm. religious ritual. They're talking about programming. Yeah. Uh, they're talking about those type of things when they speak of a new normal. And I want to try to challenge that idea to say, well, shouldn't our new normal be more than just what we do, but who we are? Right. And to living out this Christ-centered life in every facet of our life. Why doesn't that, why doesn't hope in Christ become our new normal Mm. Um, and not just attending an event? Mm. And, um, and so as we've reintegrated baptism, as we've reintegrated uh, taking the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, whatever people call it, uh, we call it the Lord's Supper, you know, and we're still being very mediated in how we handle the elements and stuff. And people are going, when can we go back to this? And, and, and two things, number one, empathy, get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Number two, honesty, and actually a third thing, um, just realize that it's going to be, it's going to take time. So patience. Right. And so I think those three things are how we've been responding to that. But again, the method for that mm-hmm. isn't the point. Right. 
That's and exactly that right. That is not the point. The point exactly. is that we are engaging in the remembrance of what our Lord did. That's right. right. It has nothing to do with whether it's in a little container that you can't get the top piece off. Right. Well, we did. We did. We had the Lord's Supper uh, where we passed the elements or served them in plates. It's kind of how uh-huh. we do it. Uh, but we still had the prepackaged stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did that at, this past Sunday. And honestly, it was mass chaos. From an internal perspective, externally, I don't think anybody noticed anything, but with my deacons and with our team, we're just sitting here going, if people really knew what was going on right now, it would be comedy, you know, Um, because we tried a new plan and it kind of worked and we may not do that again, but the freedom that COVID (laughs) has given us is to experiment, to try things out without getting fired. You yeah, know? put our little packets in buckets, and when you walk through the door, you you reach in the bucket and you get your packet. You know, communion's coming today. Yeah. It's good. Well, <laughs> and and for Baptists like us, so just take this in my context, okay, ladies. You know, Baptists like us. You know, I think these uh, prepackaged things have been sitting around a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had we had some requests for seconds in the first service this week because um, it had kind of started to ferment a little bit. I think so. We. Uh, <laughs> We, uh, we, had, we ordered a couple new boxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sermon was really good afterwards. But, uh, How many times did you take communion? Jason? Well, I took it twice that day, but someone else had to drive me home. Um, so it was, you know, but this is, this is the comedy of this. And I think the one thing about with this new normal idea that you mentioned, it's just, I mean, some of us need to lighten up a little bit. Yeah. I know COVID is a serious thing. We have two families with it right now with the Delta strain. It's a serious deal. Uh, I have a good friend, a friend, I wouldn't say a good friend, but a friend uh, who was in youth ministry with me years ago, who was 51 and just passed away because he got COVID at camp. You know, this is serious stuff, but we don't need to take ourselves so seriously. And, And I think to find the humor of God in the midst of crisis, man, it's a release, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, it allows us to breathe again. It does. If we take ourselves too seriously, we use, lose the joy yeah. that makes us winsome enough for people to want to be where we are. That's exactly yeah. right. And that yeah. is really important. That's a, that's an important factor, I think, that we have to think about in discipleship because we can get uber-focused on the piece of scripture and learning the head knowledge and all of that, which all that is important. But if we don't learn to have joy in the midst of the circumstances, as Paul told us to do, then we're missing a key element of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine sometimes when I'm reading in scripture and I, I just see, um, I, I can just feel Jesus chuckling under his breath at these goofy guys that he has gathered up together. And I'm like, oh, that must have just made you laugh. And then I think, oh, and I probably really make you laugh a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do to us, Cindy. So I'm sure Jesus is laughing too. Listen, well, you gotta have fun. <laughs> you do, you do. You get one, right? You get one. So have fun with it. But, well, right. and can I just let me just speak to the new normal thing again? Why does the new normal have to be what we do? Yeah, we have to pay attention to those things. Right. We're always looking at administrative issues and programmatic issues and all those things. But why can't the new normal be things like joy? Right. Why can't the new normal be things like hope? Right. Why can't the new normal be things like love? These are the things we're called to be regardless of our circumstances. Read through the whole New Testament. Regardless of the circumstances, you know, you, and you eventually get to James, count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, yeah. regardless of your trials, right? You're persecuted. 
Yeah, right? we get persecuted, right. So why does the new normal have to just be what I attend? Why can't the new normal simply be who I am in Christ and live that out? And other stuff needs to be handled. I get it. But boy, we'd have a lot more fun and we would grow a lot more if we were acting a lot more like Jesus in the middle. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at Discipleship.org. It's our Discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Um, I think about that and I think about, okay, we, we need to be discipling our people into those places, right? So how do we do that? This is a lot of change. And Carmelita teaches change at the uh, college level. And uh, so Carm, talk to us a little bit about what people fight against with change. They, they fight against change. <laughs> like, as soon as you say the word, we're going to change something, people are already going, no, I don't want to change anything. <laughs> and and I, I'm just going to admit that I'm I'm one of the biggest corporates. Mm-hmm. Like you come in, you're saying to me, change. And just for the record, my good friend Cindy has done this many times to me, just between you and me, she doesn't hear me at all. <laughs> She's been, we're going to change things up a little bit. And I'm and inside, I'm going, oh my goodness. <laughs> Can't leave it the same because because then it gets boring and dull. (laughs) We don't want to be known as boring and dull. Just for the record, ministry with you, Cindy, is not boring at all. (laughs) JT's beginning to understand that just a little. (laughs) I am. Well, and I would say this too, and this is in some of the stuff I've been reading over the last year is that people aren't as necessarily resistant to change, especially if it's their idea, Carmen. It's your idea. It's good change, right? Mm -hmm. But they're resistant to to loss. Right. Change, when when change is announced, it means I'm going to lose something. And and that can be on many different levels, right? It can be emotionally, physically, programmatically, power, wealth, Mm -hmm. whatever that happens to be. Mm -hmm. When a change is introduced and you don't have ownership in that change, it's a threat of loss for you. And so one author put it this way, that we need to introduce change at a rate that our people or loss at a rate our people can absorb. Correct. And I think from a leadership perspective that if I think leaders fail in this in this way, that they introduce loss or change at too rapid of a rate. Okay. Now, there are moments where just uh, kind of like March 2020, something had to change. Right. And you just have to take the fallout from that right. and have, but this is the key, I think, have your reasons for why you're making that. Have it thought through, you know, because one of the things that I found with followers specifically is one of their immediate critiques of leaders is you haven't thought this through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you can do due diligence and, and surround yourself with a team that will help think things through and be like-minded about that, 
and then take steps forward, even if it's a quick change, and you'll have more success. But I think over the long haul, it's introducing that loss in a way that your people can absorb and not only absorb, but support. And I think that's critical. And the thing is that a lot of times we as leaders, we've been praying about this. We've been thinking Mm -hmm. about this. We've been planning this for however long we've been beforehand, before we start to even speak it to the people that we lead. And so they're coming in at the end process of your of your thought process. So you're like, you should have all this information and you're coming with them with all this information that you've already processed and expecting them to process it in a short amount of time. Absolutely. And it's for the three people on this screen right now, we want to move on to the next thing, right? And we've already been there. We don't want to, man, we hate repeating stuff and we don't want to start the conversation over because we've given heart, soul, mind, emotion to the conversation we've already had. But what I try to tell the leaders that are around me and under me in, organ, in the organ, org chart is, remember, they're stepping into the conversation for the first time. Correct. So you're the expert, Correct. but you've got to lead them from the starting line. Correct. And if you don't, then they're going to join you in a very confused state. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get their heart, much less their head. And I think that's dangerous. And I think communication is a critical piece of that, right? Yeah. And this is where, I think this is where discipleship uh, really helps in making change in an organization not so painful. Mm-hmm. If you've got people already in natural relationships with your leadership team, it's going to be easier for them to hear that, receive that from the people that they're already in relationship right. with. And so that that engagement in discipleship just puts uh, puts everybody at ease, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to get your leadership to buy into that place. They can then help them understand where the, um, where the loss is going to be and why sometimes loss is a good thing, yeah. right? I, I also, I um, one of the things that is important is to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Jim, people are thinking about what they're losing and have you even, at, at, as you are the leader who's implementing this change, ha- thought about the things that I'm concerned about. And so for us to be able to listen and actually hear and respond, have conversation around whatever it is that they're concerned about um, is important too. Cause then they go, oh, they have thought about it and we did talk about it and they have do have a plan for that. And that has been in their process. They're just not blindly making this change without considering all the places that it might have implication. I agree. And see if y'all agree or disagree with this statement because I'm making it up right now. You ready? Okay. <laughs> it's hard to win the battle of people's preferences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's hard to win that battle, but that's where most people start their argument from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because the fear of loss Correct. is going to be defended by their preference, not necessarily yeah. a logical process yeah. or what's best for the community. Correct. It's this is what I like, and this is being taken away from me or the immediate ones around me. Right. And it's very, very hard to win that because it's their personal preference. Right. Yeah. And so I think what Carm just said, listening. And then responding with patience in a way that is very, um, that is process driven, that we were thinking through, this is what we thought. And this is the reason, like we had a, we had a breakdown with the Lord's Supper, like I said, this Sunday, and uh, instead of the guys going to sit down, which we asked them to do after they served, they all went back to a room to turn in all their equipment, all the extra elements and everything. And someone said, a guy said, well, that worked really well. I said, well, yes. But we wanted you to take the Lord's Supper too. Yeah. That's why we wanted you to have a seat. Right. 
but now you're in a back room somewhere putting stuff up. He goes, oh, I didn't think about that. I said, yeah, that's why we asked you to do that. You know, and it was one of those light bulb moments that they did think through this. And that's why they asked us to do it this way. Now, back to Cindy's point, we have to communicate that effectively. Correct. And people have to read their emails. They do need to read their emails. Do you mean the people at your church don't read your emails? I don't understand. Oh, does that happen with you too? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's that. All right, time of repentance and renewal. (laughs) But you're right, it's important. And it's important for us as we're helping them walk through this, I think, Um, Because we've done a lot of study on change. Carmen and I have both taught this as well. And I think we've all read the same book, Canoeing the Mountains. Correct. Which is an excellent book. Uh, Ted, what's his last name? Bolsinger. There you go. It's Canoeing the Mountains, Ted Bolsinger. Um, Excellent, excellent book on change. Just just, uh, to help you understand better how to do. But I think a lot of, of what we do, we take from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right in this discipleship realm, when Jesus needed to talk to his guys about stuff, the first thing he did was to ask them questions. Mm-hmm. Right. And that the question causes you to begin to think. So then it does sort of become your idea and your understanding mm-hmm. if we can think about the well-placed questions. And I think as leaders, one of the things that we need to do is to spend a little bit of time as we're getting ready to implement change, thinking about the questions that we can ask to help people uh, along the way, right? Mm-hmm. To be able mm-hmm. to, to process that change. Well, and to also remember that it's going to take time. You know, this, this idea of patience is huge right now for me because it's just, you know, you're, you're bringing people in different contexts or coming back in the community at different times and different stages. So there's not just one um, starting line. There's almost a new starting line every time you talk to another individual person. And so the patience of walking them that way and saying, this is where we've been, this is where we are, this is where we're going. I think that place of deep change comes, again, at that that, that turning point of them engaging in ministry Mm -hmm. and not just being the consumer of ministry. And I think that's the point of deep change, whether you're dealing with COVID or programming or whatever, whatever, but especially in disciple making, when they take the responsibility of ministry. Mm-hmm. And take a step forward and they become like like Harm said earlier, the, the minister, the pastor in that situation. Mm-hmm. Then um then you have a teammate, yeah. right? Yeah. And as that grows, it becomes the body of Christ doing what the body of Christ is supposed to do. Well, and they take you down off the pedestal. Yeah. Right. right. That's yeah. because that's a critical piece mm-hmm. for folks yeah. in our American church, is that mm-hmm. we have um we have celebrity pastors we put our pastors on a pedestal we a pedestal we think they're right up next to god um which they are next to god but so am i and so is everybody else in the congregation if they choose to be right and so it's helping them really understood understand that we are in this thing together we are not um all alone and we are not meant to just push it all off to the paid professionals we have responsibility as we follow christ and I think that's where I really believe that's where COVID just went magnifying glass. Uh, we didn't uh, we didn't help our people understand well that they were ministers of the gospel of Christ. Well, it, it exposed the discipleship deficiency in our churches. Um, not only their attendance and their faithfulness to give and other things like that, but just their character. 
And, you know, how many, how many mean Christians have we encountered on Facebook over the last 18 months, you know, just trashing one another and stuff. And, it, you know, COVID, what COVID did was really kind of rip us open and say, okay, who are you really following? And I think that that gives us pause as leaders and as pastors and ministers to be able to say, okay, are we really discipling our people to be more like Jesus? Yeah. And the answer sometimes is no. And that's a, that's a, that's on us, right? Yeah. That's on yeah. us. Yeah. Um, and, and we have responsibility not only to disciple, but for us to disciple in leadership, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to train our leaders to be able to lead well. And before they can lead well, they have to follow well. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, train them up in that space, it brings about the understanding that we walk in humility, mm-hmm. right? It's not about me. And so therefore, when change comes, okay, why am I resisting this? That's the first thing I do, because automatically we resist change. We just do, right? I love change. But you're right, JT, if it's my idea for change, it's a great idea. But if it's somebody else's idea, I might go a little bit toward rebellion, mm-hmm. maybe. Right. A little bit. Little, little, right? But but then I have to go back and learn. And part of what we teach and train as we disciple leaders is is learn to self-evaluate, learn to see that, know that that is an instant reaction that doesn't necessarily honor God. And why am I responding that way? What am I afraid of? There's always either fear or pride at the root of all that stuff. I think uh, the other piece of this is that the hopeful thing that we have is that um, as we're talking about people and their preferences and what they would prefer, you know, when we're fighting that fight, it is a it is a fight about preferences. This is what I would prefer. This would make me more comfortable. This is easier for me. Um, that we we can point them to something bigger than us. And that's the hope that we have in Christ is that there's something outside of us that we're looking towards. And if we can point them to that and they can get in contact with that, then they can go in a direction with God. Um, and it may not be with us, but it may it will may be definitely be with God that they um, can thrive and, and live in a life that's um, glorifying to him. And that's that's the point of all ministry, correct? It is yeah. The- and a reminder that that's God's call on their lives. Right. To begin with, is right. he's calling them into deep, deeper waters with himself, which right. which involves change. I don't know about y'all, but I wasn't born in deep sure. relationship with Jesus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you don't want to change, don't follow Jesus. I was Jesus. born again. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Still that I mean, place. I'm sorry, Cindy. Isn't isn't that a lot of evangelical Christianity? It's about the starting line. It's about getting mm-hmm. saved. But it's really not about following Jesus. It's really not about the deeper waters with Him of a life that's totally immersed right. in in who he is and his character and the power of his spirit and all of those things uh, just a lot of believers are content to stay at the starting line and it's a, it's a that isn't the abundant life that jesus promised it just it isn't no it is not there's there's so much more and we're just even dipping in to discover mm-hmm. what it is i can't wait till heaven yeah uh, when we get to see more but but it's exciting here uh, to be a part of. I'm excited that we're a part of the discipleship.org movement, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so we are part of the the collective, and uh, love having the opportunity to be part of these conversations. Um, and and as we join together as a discipleship first 
um, tribe, a group of people. It's nice to know that there are other people that think like we do in that place. It's great time and space for encouragement. I want to, I want to encourage those who are watching. If you uh, have not already done so, you need to register for the forum that's happening the first week in November. The Disciple Making Forum is November 4th and 5th at uh, Brentwood Baptist Church, and you can go to discipleship.org and, and register there. The Bonhoeffer Project is also having a day prior to that where we're going to be at a hotel in Franklin, um, and you can register for that. It'll be, we're going to have fun. Can I tell you we're going to have fun? I wanted to have a hoedown, but they they poo-pooed the idea. So <laughs> just I just want that out there for the world to know. I that was too much change for us, Cindy. That was yeah. Nice. That, I, I, I I sense a great deal of loss um, with that event. So I just don't think I'm going to participate. But we are going to have fun. It won't be a hoedown fun because those are fun. If y'all have never been to a hoedown, I, we have a friend, Carmelita, and I have a mutual friend who every time our family gets together, they call it a hoot nanny. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, a hoot nanny be kind of fun too. So, but um, but anyway, on that Wednesday, the third of November, we're going to get together and uh, just spend a day together, doing some fun things and and dipping in just a little bit deeper into what's happening in the Bonhoeffer project. And JT, would you tell us a little bit for those who might be listening and don't know much about the Bonhoeffer project, would you just tell us in your one or two minute blurb what we do? Sure. Yeah. Uh, in its simplest form, the Bonhoeffer project turns leaders into disciple makers. That's what we do. Uh, we gather pastors, ministry leaders, some lay leaders as well, uh, into cohorts of usually uh, anywhere between six and eight. We've gone up to 10 uh, that travel a journey together. We travel a journey of about 10 months over over the you know 10 successive months together. And we help lead you from really what is the theology of disciple making, starting with the scriptures, to a specific plan of action for your specific context. We don't have this do it the way we do it type thing. We say each context is unique, it's specific, but we do believe there are biblical principles and processes that will help lead you to be the most effective in your in your environment. And so it's really amazing to see what God has done where we're, I think we're close to a thousand alumni there. That's a pastoral number to throw out. But um, over the last six, seven years, and to see what God's doing all over the world right now, as leaders are gathering together, they're being sharpened by one another. We're deconstructing a lot of things. We're deconstructing thinking that isn't biblical. We're de deconstructing ideas and processes that don't work. Um, we get to steal from one another legally, you know, as far as ideas for disciple making. Uh, and you build a fellowship within that cohort setting. And so um, I've all of us have been participants in cohorts. Uh, we're all leaders of cohorts now. Uh, and I've just seen it to be one of the most effective means and ways that uh, we can not only have correct thinking regarding biblical discipleship, but to provide a plan for the local congregation or missions ministry or whatever you're involved in um, to see multiplication. And that's, that's kind of the end of what we're moving toward is disciples who make disciples. Awesome. Awesome. Carm, give me just a, a one minute. Uh, how, what value did you find in that process? 
Well, um, honestly, the value that I found in this process was how to implement change in my or in in the ministry that I lead. So, honestly, what we're doing right now in our ministry post COVID is a lot of what I worked on as I went through the Bonhoeffer project. So, it prepared me for this time where there's um, where there was could have been a lot of angst and a lot of. Uh, what do I do now or just easy, let's go back to what it was before. I can now go, okay, we're going to implement some things that are going to bring more relationship into our community, into our ministry, so that we can help people become more like Christ as they walk through this life. Whether it's a, a young mom, a mom with young children, let me put it that way, because some moms with young children are not young necessarily, but a young a mom with young children or someone who's retired um, that that needs that person to walk alongside them and and help to to teach them how to live this part this season of their life that in a way that honors christ sounds good well jim carm thank you so much for joining us today i am uh excited about our conversation hopefully uh those who are watching have have gleaned some nuggets out of this conversation of just how we've walked through the process and continue to walk through the process of change. I think that's an important topic for us to think about as we are, um, as we continue to move forward the kingdom of God and help people learn that we must be disciple makers because that's what Jesus left for us to do. Thanks guys for joining us. And uh, you can find out all about us at the bonhoefferproject.com. That's the bonhoefferproject.com. Tons of information there. Uh, if you need information, that comes to me, and I'm happy, happy to reach out and uh, have conversation with you. So have a great day. Thanks for joining us. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. And if you're enjoying this podcast, I want to ask you wherever you get your podcast to hit subscribe so that you can stay up to date every time I release a new episode which right now is every Monday and every Wednesday. So please do that. Also mark your calendars for November 4th and 5th. That's coming up pretty soon. Nashville, Tennessee, we're hosting a National Disciple Making Forum and it's gonna be fantastic. I'm gonna be there leading worship. We're gonna be having lots of other speakers from Elisa Childers to Ariana Rimson to Dave Clayton, Jim Putman, Bobby Harrington, Shidanke Johnson, just to name a few. So make sure you go to discipleship.org and buy your tickets today. All right, y'all. Have a good one.